the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. One, two, one, five. Portions of the following program may be pre-recorded. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. There is a judgment greater than anything you've ever known it won't be long your life will pass by as a vapor and you will stand before the judgment seat of God and every secret deed and thought every wrinkle every spot will be in view Before the one who knows all things, the Lord of Lord and King of Kings, you know the one you never knew. While you have breath, you have a choice to make in life. Amen. Turn away from your sin and believe. On the risen Christ You can find peace in Him From the judgment That's to come He is the shelter From the coming storm shakes at the mention of his name he has power over life and death every knee will bow and tongue confess heaven and earth will proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father will you bow will you surrender to his majesty he can save you from the might of all your sin this is the fight in which he stands in perfect victory while you have breath you have a choice to make in life Turn away from your sin And believe on the risen Christ yes, Lord. 
You can find peace in him From the judgment that's to come From the coming storm While you have breath You have a choice to make in life Turn away from all your sin And believe on the risen Christ can find peace in him from the judgment that's to come he is a shelter from the coming storm He's the only shelter from the coming storm. Reese Howells was born October 10, 1879. He was the sixth of 11 children. They lived in South Wales. I'm going to share part of a story today of Reese Howells. His book, Reese Howells' Intercessor by Norman Grubb, has had a profound influence on my life. And I urge you, if you haven't yet purchased one, go buy one. You can order it on Amazon or Christian bookstores will carry it. Reese Howells, Intercessor by Norman Grubb. <clears throat> the story of his conversion, it just touches my heart. The change of a man or a woman from walking in the wickedness of their heart, giving themselves over in the divine romance to Jesus always touches my heart. Now this this poem from 1890 by Francis Thompson entitled The Hound of Heaven describes accurately the actual conversion story of Reese Howells. None of us are transformed and become a part of the gospel of Jesus without divine intervention in our, in our hearts, in our lives. Salvation is not something that I bring to pass. It is something at the behest of the Holy Spirit as he calls after me. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray from the National Prayer Chapel. Thank you for joining today. I pray that this is going to touch your heart as it has mine. Now, I've read it many times. 
that every time it touches me anew, I pray it will you also. I pick it up in the story of Reese Howells in meeting the risen Lord. The words kept coming back to Reese Howells. He had been raised in a a godly family, a Christian family. But he knew that although he was religious, an exemplary young man in every respect, these words kept coming to him. Except a man be born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Suddenly, said Reese, I saw it. I believed in the Savior, but one thing I knew, I knew I wasn't born of him. So far as having correspondence with the spiritual realm where the Savior lived, I was a dead man. I was outside the kingdom. With all of my good life and religion, I'd never entered in. I was outside. Though I was not a drunkard or thief, I was outside of Jesus Christ. His religious complacency was shattered. There wasn't any great conviction of sin in his heart, but he knew that there was a great gulf between himself and God and a deep concern for his eternal destiny began to grow in his heart. He knew he had to find an answer, and he didn't know how to find it. Now, Francis Thompson, the English poet, he wrote The Hound of Heaven. It's the divine romance There's a line in it, nigh and nigh draws the chase. What Reese had begun to meditate upon in theory, he soon had to face. In fact, he was suddenly struck down with typhoid fever. Always dangerous, but in those days, often fatal. Soon he was face to face with death. In this bitter experience, he was alone in lodging and far from home. And this again was the finger of God, for he said, I found fear in me for the first time. And when I faced leaving this world and entering an unknown realm, pangs took hold of me, such as I'd never felt before. Thank God my parents were not there to take the fear from me. Thank God the human sympathy did not blind me to eternity. For you may live in a crowd, but you must meet God and face eternity alone. He cried out to the Lord not to allow him to die. The enjoyment he had in money-making and traveling and sightseeing was all forgotten he besought the Lord to give him eternal life. He prayed, give me one more chance. 
and I will give my life to you. I want to stop a moment. There are some of you listening to this broadcast today who have not been born from above. And if you were to die today, you would go to hell. You can protest, but God is the judge. We live and die on his terms, and it's heaven or hell. I urge you to listen carefully. For Reese Howells had to find a way to God. There is nothing more important in this life than to find our way to God. To be born from above. Everything else pales as compared to this. I know the threat of typhoid fever. Many years ago, my grandfather died of typhoid fever. My father lay for a long time between life and death. And by God's grace, he healed him, or I would not be here today. I'm very grateful that I can be here and speak with you. I'm very grateful that I have been born from above and filled by the Spirit of God. He continued, there was a vow in that cry. The Lord saw to it that before he answered, and even as the cry went up, Reese knew in his heart that he was not to die. As I faced losing all and entering an eternal darkness, I touched real life for the first time, he said. I had seen the world at its very best, taking me down to a lost eternity. And I knew I owed my all to the God who had delivered me. From that time on, he never regarded eternal, eternity lightly. For he had faced the reality of hell. He'd faced the reality of complete separation from God forever. As he recovered, the gravity of his recent experience made him examine closely his position with renewed earnestness. He had been delivered from death, but not from the fear of death. He had always believed in the incarnation, the atonement, the resurrection. They were the most precious truths in his life. Why then were they not real to him? If Christ had conquered death, why was he afraid of it? Those who've heard him tell of this period in his life will never forget how he rang out the answer to these questions. I found that I had only a historical Christ and not a personal Savior who could take me to the other side. For five months, he searched daily for the way to God. He said he would gladly have spent every penny and gone from one end of the vast country to the other if he could only find a man to show him the way to eternal life. He did go to the only one he could think of. 
he took the 100-mile journey back to Newcastle, Pennsylvania, to ask his cousin about it, but though his cousin knew the way himself, he seemed unable to make it clear to Reese. During those months, he made another move to Connellsville, Pennsylvania. Here at last, the chase was to end. Halts by me, that footfall. In my gloom, after all, shade of his hand, outstretched caressingly. How wonderfully each restless move had only been one further stage forward in the pursuit and capture of the prey. Reese had not been long in his new home when he heard that a converted Jew, Maurice Rubin, from Pittsburgh, had come to the city for a series of meetings. The first night that he went to hear him, Reuben told the story of his conversion and how the Holy Spirit had revealed Calvary to him. I'd heard preaching on Calvary scores of times before and believed it, said Reese but I'd never seen Calvary before that night. He was being brought back to the very point which had so struck him in his cousin's testimony. Maurice Rubin told how he belonged to a wealthy family and had the best the world could give him and how he had lived to make money. He was a manager of Solomon and Rubin, one of the largest stores in Pittsburgh. But the life of one of his buyers used to put him under deep conviction until one day he said to him, You must have been born happy. Hmm. Yes, replied the buyer, in my second birth. I accepted the Lord Jesus Christ and was born of God. In my first birth, I was no happier than you. Reuben was so moved by this testimony that he bought a New Testament. And there he was impressed with the fact that all of those who followed Jesus were Jewish. John the Baptist, pointing to him as the Lamb of God, Peter, James, John, the chief disciples, and to the Jew, the Savior had said, On this rock I will build my church. And then he came to the story of the rich young ruler. It was a dramatic moment. A rich Jew of the 20th century and under conviction, reading the Savior's dealing with a rich Jew in the first century. The way that Reuben saw it was that if Jesus had told that young man to sell all and to inherit in order to inherit eternal life, how could he, Reuben, inherit the same gift unless on the same condition? It was his supreme test. If he became a disciple... He knew that he too stood to lose everything. But it was too late for him to go back. He'd seen it, and he must follow. As Reuben said these words, Reese echoed them in his own heart. It was too late also for him to go back. Reuben faced it fairly and squarely, and he counted the cost. His wife might leave him. His brother might put him out of the business and not a single Jew follow him. But he'd made up his mind. If he lost everything, he still meant to do it. 
Then one day, on the way to the store, Reuben heard a voice repeating to him the words of John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. The truth flashed upon him. He accepted Christ and entered into life that moment. He then told his brother and others, and according to his father's will, he was to forfeit every penny if he changed his religion. But his brother offered to give him 70,000 pounds, his share of the business, if he would cross the USA and retire in Montana. But Reuben replied, I have had the light in Pittsburgh, and I'm going to witness in Pittsburgh. Late that Saturday night, detectives came and took him to the police station. On Monday, two doctors visited his cell and asked him about the voice he'd heard. Do they question my sanity, he thought? Two hours later, wardens came from the asylum and took him to a room where there were 29 mentally deranged people. The bitterness of his position overcame him. He had victory in the lockup, but this second, it seemed more than he could bear. He fell on his knees by his bed and poured out his heart to the Lord. He didn't know how long he was there, but he seemed to lose himself. And he had a vision of Calvary. He said he witnessed every stage of the crucifixion. He forgot his own sufferings in the sufferings of the Savior. And as he gazed on the cross, the Master himself said to him, And must I bear the cross alone? and all the world go free? From a broken heart, Reuben answered, No, there's a cross for everyone, and there's a cross for me. From that hour, he was a new man. Instead of complaining at being in the asylum, he began to pray for the other 29, and to the Savior he said, Let me suffer for you, whether you allow me to go through, I will never complain again. Two weeks later, Reuben's brother came to see him and reproached him for his folly in getting himself into such a place. Why don't you be wise, he said. Get out of here and go to Montana. Does that offer still stand? Then it's not a medical condition. But something else that's keeping me here, said Reuben, with all the keenness of his logical mind. Some Christian friends he was in touch with caused inquiries to be set on foot. In six weeks, his relatives, in six weeks, his release was procured. It became a court case, and the test was on the voice. The judge called the doctor and asked, Why is this man? certified as being insane well because he heard a voice said the doctor well didn't the apostle paul hear a voice countered the judge who was a christian man this is a disgrace to the american flag and he said to reuben 
prosecute anyone who had anything to do with this. I shall never prosecute anyone, Reuben answered. But I will do one thing. I will pray for them. He crossed the courtroom and offered his hand to his brother. But his brother turned his back on him. He went to his wife, but she did the same. But what a victory he had in his own soul. Maurice rented a small room in Chicago where he lived alone with the Lord and won many converts, though for two years he hardly had a square meal. A year later, his wife came to hear him in a camp meeting, and she was converted. And for the first time, he saw his little boy who had been born after his wife had left him. She was willing to make her home with him again, if only he would earn a living as other Christians did. His heart went out to his little boy, and this test was even greater than the first. Her request seemed so reasonable, but he knew that the Lord had called him from the world into this life of faith. He pleaded with the Lord, but the only reply he received was, Back to Egypt? It was enough. And once more Reuben embraced the cross. He went to see his wife and child off. It was a costly experience. But as the train steamed out of the station, it seemed that God poured the joy of heaven into his soul. He literally danced on the platform. He did not see his wife for another three years. Then in another camp meeting, she too had a revelation of the cross. As a result of this, she testified that whereas before as a believer, she had not been willing to share the sacrificial life of her husband, if he would but be for God's glory, she would now be willing to beg her bread from door to door. They were reunited and she became a wonderful co-worker with him in ministry. One thing that had hindered Reese Howells from coming through before was that while people said they were born again, he could not see that their lives were better than his. How then could he be convinced that they had something he had not? But he had sometimes said to the Lord, If I ever see a person who is living the Sermon on the Mount, I will give in. Before Reuben came to the end of his story, the Lord said to Reese, Is this your man? What followed in that little Methodist chapel, Reese House tells in his own words, as Maurice Reuben brought those sacred scenes before us, I too saw the cross. It seemed as if I spent ages at the Savior's feet and wept and wept. I felt as if he had died just for me. I lost myself. I'd been living in my fear of death. I saw him taking death for me. My parents loved me very much, and up to that time to me, there were no people like them. But they never suffered death for me. But Jesus did. His love for me as compared with theirs was as high as the heavens above the earth. And he won my love, every bit of it. He broke me, 
and everything in me went right out to him. Then he spoke to me and said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. May I come in to you as I came into Reuben and took the place of his wife and son and home and store and world? Will you accept me? Yes, I replied. And he came in. In that moment, I changed. I was born into another world. I found myself in the kingdom of God, and the Creator became my Father. That night, I received the gift of eternal life, that gift which money cannot buy. When I went home, my friend who had accompanied me to the meeting, he'd seen nothing at all. He now seemed so rough to me. Everyone who was not born again seemed rough. The Savior became everything to me. He was not only the fairest among 10,000, but fairest among millions. That love of his had always been there, but before I saw it, there was no response from me. But he had plenty of response after this. Everything of this world was rough, but everything about him so holy, so pure, so beautiful. I changed altogether. None of my old friends could understand what had happened. I had no fellowship with natural things. It wasn't a point of doctrine I saw. No, it was Calvary. It wasn't giving a mental assent. No, the veil was taken back. My eyes were opened and I saw him. That night I saw the world as a cursed place. And the thought came to me, I will never touch it again. The love of the Savior was revealed to me. You can't explain what a revolution this is. I saw that the Savior and Father, before I should suffer, would rather suffer for me. No natural love is the same as his love. He was not merely that the Savior helped me outside himself. No, he took my place. I saw every other love so rough in comparison. Self was the motive of it. But I could see that love enduring through the countless ages of eternity. When you receive the Savior, you receive the love of God. This love flooded my being, and it's flooded me ever since. I saw that by his coming to me, he would love sinners through me as he loved me. It would not be forcing myself to love others any more than the Savior forced himself to love me. No person could be an enemy to me because I had been an enemy to him before I was reconciled. If I live in the realm where he is, I live to have mercy and to be kind, to love others. Could the love of God in me do harm to anyone? I had left the world and its folly and been born into that kingdom where there's only the love of God, the most attractive life on the face of the earth. Reese always spoke of this as his spiritual birthday, as the most outstanding day of his life. It was the day which brought his stay in America to a close. He never forgot that it was in the USA. And through a Jew that he found the Savior, 
and that he owed a debt to God's chosen people, which was he was to replay, repay in later years. But he felt that his first witness should be to his own parents, to his folk, who'd nurtured him in the things of God. A man has put the most despicable messages on our chat line. If you're listening, please hear me. You are defying the living God of heaven in your arrogance and your bitterness. And you are serving the devil who is so utterly unclean and so utterly filled with hatred. Now, brother, I don't know where this filthy language has come from you. I don't know why you're so angry. I don't know if you were molested sexually by your father. I don't know what would cause that bitterness of heart. But you are a dead man walking. And there are others of you listening to this broadcast who are also dead men walking, perhaps even very religious, but you're dead. And I just call upon you today to repent, to receive the love of Jesus Christ, to let go of your bitterness and your uncleanness, to let go of your of your wickedness, to repent and turn to the living God of heaven. I want to read something out of the book of Revelation for you. This is found in Revelation, the ninth chapter. I'll begin with verse one. I want you to see how the devil will treat you. I want you to see how the devil loves you. Oh, you think you're independent and you think that's smart and you're full of rebellion and spit and vinegar and cursing Christians. Listen to this description of what the devil's like. Chapter 9 of Revelation. The fifth angel sounded his trumpet and I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth. The star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. When he opened the abyss, smoke rose from it like the smoke from a giant furnace. The sun and the sky were darkened by the smoke from the abyss. And out of the smoke, locusts came down upon the earth and were given power like that of a scorpion on the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or the plant or the tree, but only those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. That is, only touch those who are given to the demons. If you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, you are given to the demon. 
Verse 5. They were not given power to kill them, but only to torture them for five months. And the agony they suffered was like that of a sting of a scorpion when it strikes a man. During those days, men will seek death, but will not find it. They will long to die, but death will elude them. The locusts looked like horses prepared for battle. On their heads, they were something like a crown of gold, and their faces resembled human faces. Their hair was like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. Please, I'm reading for you a description from Revelation 9 of the children created by the devil, non-human. This is one of his freaks, one of his aliens that is going to come upon the earth. They had breastplates like the breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the thundering of many horses and chariots rushing into battle. They had tails and stings like scorpions, and in their tails they had power to torment people for five months. They had as king over them the angel of the abyss, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek, Apollyon, meaning destroyer. In other words, the devil was the ruler of these alien beings who came out upon the earth at his behest to torture his people. This is standard operating procedures for the devil. The devil is so twisted, so dark, so evil, so opposite of Jesus Christ. He wants to torture his people. Jesus would never torture his people. He has instead covered them with his with his pisak, with his wing. He has covered them and protected them from the enemy. I want you to see the devil's greatest joy is to torture those who belong to him. I think of this famous comedian, Robin Williams. He made a deal with the devil to be a successful comedian. And you know some of his movies, Good Morning Vietnam and others. But when he was before a crowd doing stand-up comedy, he was utterly filthy. And the devil gave him great success. The problem is those demon powers began to take him over. Those demon powers wanted to torture and they began to torture him in his mind. And the only way he could gain release from those tortures of demons 
was to drink alcohol and get drunk. Those voices constantly came to his mind. And finally, in utter desperation, because the demon powers would never leave him alone, and they increasingly yelled into his mind, until finally he said, the only way I can escape, according to his suicide letter, was to kill myself. And the devil rejoiced. The devil wants to torture and destroy. The devil wants to torture you. And you think, oh, I'm I'm an independent person. I'm I'm doing my life. Oh, I I love this and I love that and I'm a happy camper. No. You know and I know that if you're honest with yourself, there's a hole the size of a semi-truck in your heart. It's cold and it's icy. If you're filled with uncleanness, as this man who's written on the chat line, your only hope is Jesus Christ. And he's calling you. Like he called for Reese Howells in the book, The Intercessor by Norman Grubb. I've worn mine out. I've read it so many times. And by the way, on Thursday night, we're reading it together here at the National Prayer Chapel and then we're praying and talking and sharing. You're welcome to come. We meet at 7.30 on no, we meet at 7 on Thursday night for prayer meeting. When I read the book of Revelation, there is an unveiling of the true heart of the devil. And it is to torture you, not to kill you. That'll come later. His first step is he wants to torture you. God made you, not the devil. And he made you to fit together with himself in love, in service. With his joy and his peace filling your heart. But you have to decide. Do you want the devil and all the uncleanness and all the torture all the heartbrokenness. Do you want that? Do you want the wild parties, the drunken parties, the uncleanness, the pornography, the, the wild sexual activity? What is it in hell that you really want? For that's where you're going if you don't change course. Jesus will receive you. He will forgive you. He will turn your heart from darkness to light. 
So today I come and simply share this story of Reese Howells. He became a mighty intercessor, a very strong witness for Jesus Christ. He gave his life to the service of Jesus Christ. Now, many of you today, as you listen to this broadcast, know that you've never been born from above. You may have some emotional, sentimental, emotional thing about God, but you've never really served him. If you really loved him, you would, you would want to serve him. Some of you have been consumed with making money, with following the bucket list you have, some of you have earnestly desired to have a happy life with a happy fence around your home. You have spent your time and your energy seeking for yourself. But as you come to the end of your life, you're going to have to face the way you've spent your life. And then either in bitterness and anger die, in ignorance die like an animal, or you're going to have to come to terms with Jesus Christ. I was invited by a family to come and visit with the father. He was dying. He was not a Christian. So I walked into the hospital room and I did as I always do when I visit a patient. I go directly to that patient. If offered, I'll take his hand. And I went to this man. He did not offer me his hand. He said, you're Pastor Greenland. I said, yes, I represent Jesus. He said, well, I'm not interested. So please don't talk to me about Jesus. In just a few hours, they've told me I will be dead because I'm not going to take any more of the treatments that are necessary to maintain my life. It's too painful. So I will go into a coma soon and I'll be gone. And that will be the end. I said, oh, no, 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 no. That's not the end. That's just the beginning of eternity. And you're choosing to live an eternity in torture. Are you sure you want to live a life in eternity of torture? Or would you rather have someone who cares deeply about you, so deeply he even died for you? Oh, pastor, I don't want to hear this. Stop it. I said, okay. Your family has asked if I would do your funeral, and I've consented. Now, I'm going to give them exactly what this conversation has been between the two of us. And I'm going to tell your family and your grandkids that you willingly and eagerly chose to go to hell because you hated Jesus Christ. Is that all right? Yes, tell them whatever you want. It doesn't matter. I'll be gone. Okay. 
And shortly after that, I did have to do his funeral. And I appealed to that family, many of whom were not Christians, to not walk the same path their family member had walked, but instead to turn their heart to Jesus Christ. I urged them to repent and be born again. I want to do that right now with you. I want to invite you to receive Jesus Christ by repenting from your sin. The important question is not, will you accept Jesus? The the vital question is, will Jesus accept you? And the only way Jesus will accept you is if you repent of your sin and you acknowledge your pride and your anger and your wickedness and you repent as specifically as you know how. And you cry out after Jesus and ask him, Will you receive me, Jesus? You're going to need to go to the scriptures. You're going to need to read carefully a number of passages. To become a Christian means you will turn away from your sin and repent of them. And then Jesus will come and he'll give you new birth. But there is always before a new birth, there is a death, there is a cross. And you must go to that cross. And every man has his cross where he must lay everything down for Jesus. All of his pride, all of his arrogance, all of his ambition, all of his bucket lists, all of his entertainment, everything has to be laid down on that altar of burnt offering. Romans 12. Well, we're out of time for today, but I want to pray for you. Lord, I'm just hearing in the spirit that there are many listening to this broadcast who are in the valley of decision, who are struggling with your Holy Spirit, who are running from him even as even as this man who writes this wicked post on our top chat. Lord, He's fighting against your Holy Spirit. And Lord, there are many others listening who are fighting against your Holy Spirit. Even religious men who are fighting, religious women who are fighting against your Holy Spirit because they see that they must lay it all down and they must take up their cross. They must repent and turn to you, Jesus. They can't keep anything. Husband, wife, children, nothing can stand before you. Money, ambition, job, health, nothing can stand between you and them, Jesus. Would you give them the courage right now to take that step and say, Jesus, I lay my life down for you. And now, Jesus, give them the courage to specifically repent of their sins. and give them new birth. I pray in your holy name. Amen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. 
I'm Pastor Ray from the National Prayer Chapel. Thank you for listening today. You can write to me at National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. This is the last week of the month, and then we will need to pay WAVA for their broadcast time that we have purchased. If you'd like to help cover that broadcast time, then would you write to me? Or would you go on the Internet? And on the Internet, find us at nationalprayerchapel.com. nationalprayerchapel.com. There you can give online. There are many podcasts and videos. And and you're also welcome to call me. My number's there on the web at nationalprayerchapel.com. You're welcome to come on Thursday night to our prayer meeting. And we're reading Reese Howell's The Intercessor. I shared a bit of that with you today. There's a great deal more. You're also welcome to come on Sunday, Sunday morning. We start worship at 10. You're welcome to come and worship with us if you're serious about this fight to get to Jesus. God bless you, my brother, my sister. I'm praying for you. I'm praying for conviction and for a turning and for a seeking after God with all your heart. God bless you. I love you. Are you a real estate Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.